All right, welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast in partnership with the Black and Gold Sports Media Company. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindroth. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. We have a great guest here tonight, so why don't we get into it? Although we do need to mention that we're not in the studio. We're doing this remotely, so we might have a little audio issue every now and again, but... That's just the uh, nature of the beast. So are you ready to go, Andrew? Yep. So today we obviously have our special guest, Terry Virtue. So Terry began as a defenseman in the AJHL and the WHL from 1981 until 1991. He later uh, signed his first pro contract with the Roanoke Valley Rebels in the ECHL and played in the league from 1991 until 1994. Later, he was then promoted to the AHL and suited up for various teams from 94 until the 98-99 season when he later appeared in his first handful of games with the Boston Bruins. Later that season, though, he went on to help win the AHL's Calder Cup with the Providence Bruins. And after moving on from the Bruins organization, he went on to winning yet another Calder Cup championship the following season with the Hartford well, uh, Wolfpack, as well as suiting up for the New York Rangers that season. He continued to dominate as one of the top defensemen in the AHL, suiting up for Hartford and the Wistick Ice Cats for several years until 2004, and then continued to play hockey before retiring in 2007. That was a mouthful. So without further ado, please welcome our special guest today, Terry Virtue. Thanks for joining us today, Terry. How are you? Good, good, good. Thanks for having me. Just just happy to be here. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for taking the time. So, that's for- a- so you were always known. That's a mouthful, Terry. That's a hell of a career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been around a little bit. I've been, I've been everywhere. I've had a lot of you know, lots of good times everywhere I've been. So it's been fun. Awesome. So Terry, I just want to get right into the question. So you were always known for your gritty play and standing up for your teammates. And that dates back to the AJHL when you posted a whopping 336 penalty minutes in just 56 games. So what made you take on that role start? I mean, way back then. You know what? I wasn't a, I wasn't a very, very big guy, but I wasn't a great, I, I wasn't a great, a great player back in, junior either so I knew for me to make make my niche in hockey or, or however it was gonna have to work I knew I was gonna have to do whatever I had to do uh I had a, I had a I had a couple older 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 brothers that kind of uh, smacked me around when I was young so that that helped me too so I wasn't too I wasn't too worried about getting to the odd hustle here and there so that was you know I was fine with that so. awesome yeah Terry um we ask uh, our guests that have, have played in the NHL the, these two questions so what does it really take to make it to the NHL and what sacrifices did you have to make what's it take it takes unbelievable determination uh, I mean uh it was one of those things that you know, I wasn't a very good player. Like I said earlier, when I was young, I had to go through everything to do there. You know, I went from from not being drafted, playing in the East Coast League, fighting everybody I had to do, play as hard as I could, ride the bus for, you know, there was the odd time I played four games in four nights. I was I was between two leagues. I was in the American Hockey League, but they, and then they sent me down and 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 and. and Playing the East Coast Hockey League for the for the for the playoffs. So there were some nights I played four games and four nights, and there was a lot of lot of 
sacrifice their determination to sacrifice him. I mean, I never even thought about it being being a sacrifice. It was it was fun for me. I always enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the older days I got, it was kind of funny when I got older. I knew I had to be in better shape. So the month of August, you know, I wouldn't, I, you know, I wouldn't have as much. Uh, fun with my neighbors like my neighbors would come over and I'd be inside and you know my wife would be outside on the on the porch and they would be having their wine or whatever and I'd be inside making sure no I gotta make sure I'm in good good shape when I'm going to training camp that was in my older days when I was young I never thought it was anything I never thought sacrifice it was it was it was fun going to the gym it was fun doing all those things that, that I had to do do to and to for that so and I never really thought about it, about, about a sacrifice, but now I have a son that's 20 years old. He's in the Quebec major junior league, you know, and I actually, you know, and he's, he's really, he is a lot more determined than I was. So really. Okay. Yeah. So can you take us then you had mentioned that you did go undrafted. So can you take us through the experience of when you did sign your first pro contract, especially through a league like the ECHL? Yeah. So I want, if, if any of your, any of your listeners are coming out of, out of, out of junior, I mean, it, it, it was a great, it was an awesome career for me and it really worked out for me, which is great. But I recommend if you're not drafted, you're not signed, go to, go to university for three, four years or whatever it is, get your education and then come out nowadays, the way it was, it is. And I don't know if you guys have followed D1, D3 colleges, junior, but they're not they're not really taking you until you're 19 or 20 years old now. So you're coming out of college at 23, 24 years old. I mean, unless you're a top, top pick, you know, that's when they're coming out. So it's kind of one of those things back back when I played when I grew up, you know, we were we were either you're going to school or you're going to play pro. And it was one of those things when I was 20 years old, I had some interest to go to the East coast league. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I wasn't much of a, of a school guy. I didn't, you know, I never really, really focused on school. It was more hockey. So I went and I actually played in the East, East coast league my first year. I had some offers to go to university of New Brunswick, Acadia college and stuff like this. And I took the East coast league route, but anybody that knows it was a, it was a long, tough route. Like I made, uh, you know, I was in Roanoke, Virginia, made my, my, my check every week was $241 a week. Had to, had to pay my own rent at the time. So there was four of us in a three bedroom apartment. It was, yeah, it was one of those things that, you know, you, you go and now, you know, and I'm doing all right in my, in my, in my, in my company now, but it's one of those things that, you know, I never end up getting an education. I never get the college education. You know, when I was starting to retire from hockey, I had some offers, you know, I, it was actually, I actually have a good, good story where I wasn't ready to retire yet, but I actually had a job offer to go sell, sell in this just because they knew who I was and they knew that that'd be you know I'd do a good job at it I went back to you know I end up getting a good good uh, a good a good contract so I went up back to hockey three years later I went for the same job and they were like we want a college degree 
like and, and it doesn't matter who you really are we just want a degree so moving on moving forward that's kind of what i've always said to my son is like you're going to get your college degree i think it's important i think it's very important for some of these guys unless you're going to make millions of dollars make sure you're ready to get your college degree because it, it was a hard fight for me you know going from the east coast like making 241 dollars a week till you know playing the nhl that's a long long ways to go on that so Absolutely. And I think for our listeners, the ECHL was a, a bit different. And Terry, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You had the CHL, the Central Hockey League, that finally morphed into the ECHL in the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Um, but you had that league and then you had the IHL, which is more of a step up and kind of competed with the AHL. Um, but the ECHL is still, I think, uh, you know, I talked to some of the guys that play with the Tulsa Oilers and they're making like 450 bucks a week. So it really hasn't. So, yeah. So, so when I started, it was, it was actually, I think it was the first year that it was called the East coast league. I think when I started the year before it was called the Eastern league. And that was like, we had to be, we had to be tough when we played in the league but the eastern league that was where all the tough guys came from the nhl too and i don't know what they're making back then but it was kind of we, we when i first started it was probably two or three years maybe even longer than that maybe four years before the 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 players hockey association came into into play and helped out with the guys getting their rent paid for getting a little bit more higher salaries and stuff but uh, that was a little bit. That was a little bit of time. Like there was, there was different organizations that treated you a lot better than other ones that would pay more. But there was always a salary cap, and you know they were making sure the owners were trying to make money. And you don't blame them for that either. Like it's one of those things they're putting their neck out on the line to to make these things work. It actually, you know, gave me an opportunity to to play somewhere, which was great. So awesome. Yeah. And so. Going back to your WHL days, Terry, you were involved in arguably, I mean, you look on YouTube, probably the craziest brawl, and probably in all of hockey. So can you kind of take us through uh, that experience and what happened in that moment to make that unfold between the players and the fans there? So it was a big rivalry where, you know, where the Tri-City Americans get to the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh it was game one of the first of the best of nine playoffs. I don't know if everybody knew it was a best of nine playoff series. And the Friday night game, it was so Seattle had two rinks that year. They had one that sat like 4,500, and then they had the one where basically the Supersonics played at and everything else. It sat 13,000. So it was a Friday night game. So we were there. Uh, I was on the bench and the head coach, Rick, Rick Kozabak, he just got into it with the fans and beers and hot dogs came down and uh, he took a stick and actually speared a guy over the glass. And I'm not saying it was him, him start. <laughs> he, he did start it, but, and then all hell broke loose. And it was one of those things that we just all joined in. You know, it's a funny story because I really never thought I was more involved than anybody else. And uh, so my dad talked to me the next day because, you know, there was, you know, the Edmonton Jurdal, the the uh, the Edmonton son was trying to call my dad. They wanted to talk to me and stuff. And I like, you know, I wasn't really more involved. But 
I don't think they really showed the video, but the one video that the league had, it had four of us. There was probably three or four of us that you could really see our numbers in. It was me, Steve Jakes, Jeff Fancy, and all of Kolzik were the four guys that were kind of that really stood out to them. So we all kind of got suspended out of that little thing. But, you know, I got one game. Uh, Steve Jakes got one game. I think Jeff Fancy, because he was a call-up kid, got three or four, and only got one game. But, uh, yeah, it was one of those things that just uh, just happened. I mean, we were, like, thinking, what, we're, we're 16 to 20-year-old kids. We're going to take on 13,000 fans. I don't think it was going to work out very well. So, <laughs> so uh, it was a thing. And we look, and, you know, it, and I think they're beating us 6-2 or so. I don't even know what the score was. I know we weren't close. And I remember looking over, you know, and there's guys like Peter Nedved when we're, out, we're on the team and everything else, and, they were actually looking, go looking at us, just shaking their head at us, going, "Are you kidding me?" So, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> crazy times. So, yeah. as, so as a fan, I do, I would like to know, what was it like fighting Bob Probert? Fighting Bob Probert, uh, it's not something I dreamed of. It was just something, you know, not, you know, like a lot of my friends know the story, and uh, it's actually. Pretty good story. We played in Montreal the night before, and I actually joked around. I signed late with the Bruins. I signed late in the summer with the Bruins. And uh, so they all knew that I would fight anybody. I would do whatever it would take to play. Uh, Pat Burns knew that. And when we, so we played the night before in Montreal. And, uh, and he actually sat a couple of young guys out. So I, so I played a ton of minutes, but after the game, I was sitting there in the, in the, in the dressing room of guys like, and I, and I, and I know it was Rob Tallis cause I knew, I knew Robbie pretty good and stuff like this. I'm joking around going, I don't even think he knows my name. Like talking about Pat Burns. I don't think he knows my name. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, so whatever. I'm just saying, you know, I got to play a ton, but it's just like you go out on the ice. It was one of those, it was kind of one of those funny things. And, uh, so the next night we were playing in, in uh, Chicago and uh, and I knew that they knew I could fight and they knew I'd fight anybody and do whatever it took. So uh, we're, we're playing. Hal Gill was my partner in, in the game. And, you know, when you're in a shift, Hal Gill, uh, you know, goes off the ice with 35, you know, 35 seconds in the shift. I get stuck out there a little bit and uh, I get into a I get into a pushing match in front of the net. And, uh, you know, I didn't even really think who it was. It was, you know, it was a face-off on the left, you know, it, was or it happened in front of our net. I never really thought about who it was with. I just started skating off the ice because I'm like, you know, Hal, Hal's off. He's my partner. They're going to they're gonna make the, you know, they're going to make the final thing. Pat Burns runs down the bench. I don't know if he ran down the bench. I like to say he ran down the bench, but he just comes down the bench. <laughs> he, goes, he goes, no, no, you, no, no, you stay out. And I'm like, huh. I stay out. Okay. So I look on the ice and Cam Jensen or Dave Jensen or Jensen, whatever there was, Jensen was taking the face off. Ryan Vandebush was on the right wing and Bob Probert's on the left wing. And I'm looking going, huh. You, so now <laughs> I really kind of want to see what I was going to do about it. Like see what I was going to do. Leave me out on the ice. See what I was going to, how I was going to react. So I went into the into the corner of Bob Probert, kind of went high on him and stuff like this. And uh, you know, 
I actually had my gloves off. It's kind of a funny story. I had my gloves off before he did, but I wasn't stupid enough to punch him and really make him mad because it would be one of those. <laughs> so all the guys, but it was funny because because you know I, I you know I probably could have soccered him and everything else, but it was like no, I'm not going to do that. That'd just be that'd be just be stupid by me or whatever. So one of those things, you know, I, it doesn't look good in the fight, but, uh, you know, my wife was, uh, was at a bar with one of my buddies that, you know, there, and she's like, Oh my God, I've never seen him lose a fight like this. And he goes, don't worry. It was Bob Probert. He just fought. So one of those, exactly. I say, so, but it was funny when I got back to the bench, you know, cause if you watch the video, I actually go back to the bench and, uh, Pat Burns was the first one to say, good job, Terry. Like, and after the game, he came up and said, good job. And he was very respectful of me after that. So it was kind of one of those things that, uh, I, if I probably didn't fight Bob Probert, I would never got to play for the Bruins. So I, I really, yeah, I really, I really do. Even though I was having a great year down in the American league and, you know, I was an all-star down there. I just think, uh, Pat Burns knew and, and he treated me with so much respect when I was up at the Bruins, even though it was a handful of games, he treated me with so much respect. It was unbelievable. So wow. I think that's probably just because I just, you know, did what I did, and, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so um, you were a huge part of the 99 Providence Calder Cup championship um, victory. And that was the last time Providence even won the Calder Cup. And so it's still referenced uh, actually all the time on the Providence uh, Instagram page, especially they always go back and, and show all those memories from back then. So would you agree that that team is probably one of the most special Providence Bruins teams that they've had, at least during the time that you were playing in the AHL? I don't think it was one of the most special Providence teams. I think it was probably one of the best teams ever in the American hockey league. Uh, wow. And, you know, you know, like people don't understand how good we were like uh, the year before they were the worst team in the American hockey league. And we went from the worst to first. And it's not, if you looked at our, if you looked at what we did the first 10 to 15 games, we weren't very good. And I, and I became good friends with Peter Lavalette. I was one of the older guys. He signed me for the reason to help win and he actually we're on the bus and I don't know where we were but he actually called me to the front of the bus and this was his first year in the American League and now you know he's one of the best coaches one of the best USA hockey coaches that you can have but he actually brought and, and I remember this conversation he actually brought me to the front of the bus he goes what's going on with our team and I'm like nothing we just need to learn how to win I said you got to remember you have 75% of these guys were in last place in the American League the year before. 75%. Like it was, you know, we were the worst, they were the worst team. They're out of the playoffs a month and a half, two before. They have to learn to win. Like we were, we were losing close games. But I said, there's nothing wrong. They're just going to have to learn. And by the end of the year, like if you look at our record, it's not the best record ever. But I bet if you go in the last 60 games, it's one of the best if you've ever probably looked at I've never really looked at it but you know talking about it, it's like yeah we were one of the best teams ever and I don't know if we'll ever go in the history of that because I I see it on Twitter I see it on this to talk about this Binghamton Rangers team and blah 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 they don't bring up our team that much but we when we got to the playoffs it was it was stupid how good we were like it was you know like 
we, you know, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. We just had a great bunch of guys and it was one of the funnest teams I've ever played. You know, I won, I got to win two years in a row and when you win, it's always fun. And I don't know what team was fun or, you know, which we had more fun or whatever it was, but tell you what, we had, we had a great group of guys. We had a lot of fun. We, we had pranks on each other. We, we paid guys to do stupid things like jump into ponds naked and swim across, run around. It was right after the finals. And it was just one of those things that it was, it was amazing. It was an, it was an amazing run. So. Terry, who are some of your early mentors and coaches that that helped make you a better player? I don't know. You know, I, I have a lot of guys that mentored, but you know, when I, when I got to, you know, so so I'm gonna, I, you know, I'm going to mention a guy that coached me when I was young was uh, Francis Maltese when I was a midget 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 guy, midget player. He actually coached my brothers, but he was he was great to me. But when when I got to pro, uh. Jimmy Roberts was really huge for me. He was an old school guy, just brought me down to earth. He just made sure he treated me right. Uh, you know, you know, like I end up, you know, I am get, get I end up getting called up to the St. Louis Blues. Never played with him, but he was a big he was a big part of it. It was, uh, you know, he was really good to me. Uh, made sure I stayed, and you know, he he became a really good mentor to me as. When I actually, I blew my knee out the year in, in, in Providence, but I had it operated on two or three years ago when I was with the Blues organization. I had to go back and, you know, we spent the afternoon together and stuff like this. He passed away a few years ago, but, you know, some, some guys reached out to me and said, hey, he, he really wants to talk to you before he passed away. And it was, it was something special to me because he was really good to me. You know, you look at guys like you look at guys like Peter Laviolette was was awesome to me. He was you know one of my best coaches I've ever had technically. Uh, so it was it was great that way. But you, you have a lot of guys along the way that that kind of form you to who you are. Uh, you know, I had, you know got to play some great guys, some great players, and stuff like that. So it was awesome that way. I I don't you know it's it's hard to say who mentored you. You know, my dad was very supportive. My family was very supportive. So. You know, you, you looking back at stuff like that, and it's like, uh, yeah, they're 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 just what it you know it is what it is, and a lot of people come by. You 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 try to grab good things from every every person, and then you also look at the negative things from every person that you've you've coached with, that have coached you, that have you've played with. So you try to always try to grow as a human being, coach whatever you want to do. But that's kind of how it is. I thought so. Okay. So out of every player that you played for, whether it's WHL, NHL, what player had the ability to get under your skin? Just, I mean, very easily agitate you. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. That's a agitate. I don't know. Just a rats or was this, there was guys that I, I don't, I don't even know if there's a complete name that I could say that's, I don't even know if there's a name I could really say that uh, really that I can bring up, but there was a lot of guys out there, just guys that just would mouth you off and, and they wouldn't do anything about it. And uh, I, I don't know, there's, you know, there, there's funny stories out there. Like I always say, uh, you know, like, and, and, and this isn't like, these are rad or annoying, but like there's guys that knew that I was 
that I could be pretty mean, I could be pretty dirty. And like, and I'm just saying Mike uh, Camillari for interest, for, for instance, like he was a young kid coming up, up and he uh, lines up to me on a face off and he goes, oh, hey, how are you? Good. I see. He goes, hey, we're from the same hometown. I said, what? Yeah, we're both from, from Scarborough, Ontario. I'm like, what? I said, I don't live in Scarborough. I, I moved out of there when I was four years old. Like, like, but it was one of those things. Like, it was, never, it was never really like, I don't know. I don't think there was anybody that ever that really annoyed me. I bet I probably annoyed a lot of guys, you know, like stuff like this, which I maybe I did, but there wasn't one person ever. I, I you know, I never took hockey too serious. Uh, you know, like on the ice, I could be as, as, competitive and as mean as you as anybody but once we were off the ice i'd have a i would have a beer with anybody i'd make sure he shook their hand had a beer didn't you know never held anything personal anything like that and i think that was a that was a big part of who i was and it's kind of funny everybody goes hump you know there's a big joke out there saying there's not many people that i haven't had a had a beer with so kind of because <laughs> that's how i was you know like if we were on the road somewhere and and we're with the team, you know, you, you know, and, and, and it would happen many times. You'd be, you'd be on the road and you'd be, you'd, you would go out with the other team. So, and there was no, you know, I never held grudges, never anything like that. I mean, my first year in the American Hockey League, we were playing in, in, you know, I was playing in, in Cape Breton at the time. There's a bar called Ziggy's in, in Moncton, in Moncton, New Brunswick. Sometimes there would be three or four teams in the same bar because we just all kind of because Moncton because it was centrally located, so you could go to St. John, you could go to Prince Edward Island, stuff like this out of Moncton. So a lot of teams stayed there. So sometimes it'd be three or four four teams at the same bar, which was kind of entertaining sometimes because you have the tough guys mad at each other. And, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so it was entertaining at times. So other than Probert, out of all the other players, once again, going back to any of the leagues, who punched the hardest? I don't know. You know what? So I got punched a lot of times, but a lot of guys will say I was very good at tying up, so I didn't get punched. But I will say Mike Hartman. Mike Hartman was in Hershey. He was in Hershey at the time. It was right after his Buffalo – I think it was right after his Buffalo stint. And uh, – we knew he didn't like me at all. Like, 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 I mean, the guys knew and they're like, Hey, if you're going to fight him, just be aware that he just throws left and right. He doesn't really hang on. He doesn't really do anything. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And the only reason I tell you this, cause I remember I probably had, had a, I probably had a concussion and I remember, but I still played cause it was back then. And I don't blame the trainers. The trainers just weren't educated enough yet on concussions and stuff. And, Nobody really knew, but I remember I was doing all right in the fight and he hit me with a left and I remember being on my ass and uh, I remember sitting over in the, over in the penalty box and Hershey going, yeah, I'm not right right now. I'm not doing, you know what I mean? Like I just kind of knew, but that was probably one of the, one of the times I got punched was the hardest and it was by Mike Hartman. So, so I will say him for sure. I mean, I mean, you know, there's other guys like, like I know you had Darren Banks on there, you know, Bought him, I you know Reed Simpson, other guys, Scott Mellenby. I just remember the Mike Hartman time because I, I remember it was in Hershey. It was a Saturday night. There was eight or nine thousand fans at the old 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 rink, and I remember getting getting put on my ass and been sitting over in the penalty box going, 
So that's, <laughs> that's one of the guys that I do remember for sure. So, so you bring up that you, uh, you did get a call up uh, from St. Louis and it was your first call up to the NHL, I believe. Um, and this, you know, I, I kind of talk about, you know, coaching here because you're, you're also a coach, but um, you're not a Mike Keenan fan, and for good reason. You know, we hear as a lot of respect, like you're talking about Burns is a guy who respected you, Laviette. Uh, but Mike Keenan, uh, not really a nice guy. So how'd you hear the story that I'm not a Mike Keenan fan? <laughs> uh, on the Spit and Chicklets show. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, so yeah. So I'll tell you what. So, uh, so I was having a really good year in Worcester. My agent or you know, with my agent, I think it was, it was Jimmy Roberts called, called me into the office said, Hey, the St. Louis blues want to call you up. And I'm like, and I wasn't under contract with the blues. I was having a good year. And, and, uh, I don't know, it was like a two, I don't know. It was, it was a weird, it was maybe a Monday, Tuesday. So they said, you're going to, he goes, they want to call you up. They want to play you in Maple Leaf Gardens on whatever, Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And so my agent gets on the phone. He's, he's on a speakerphone or whatever. He goes, do not take this contract. Do not do this. This isn't a good contract for you. You'll make a lot more money elsewhere and blah, blah, blah. And I said, okay, okay. I sat there and I basically said to my agent, I said, well, I'll tell you what, I never drafted Three years ago, I was in the East Coast League making $241 a week. I was born in Toronto. I have family in the Toronto area. I said, it's a dream come true if I get to play in Maple Leaf Gardens. I said, I will take this contract. Thinking it's a great opportunity to play. You know, it's a great opportunity to get, a, get to play in the NHL, you know, NHL contract, whatever. Yeah, sure, the American League salary is not great, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I sign it. I fly into Ottawa. They're they're in the middle of a game. Ottawa wins their first game at home in the new rink in the in the Corral Center. Mike Keenan is not happy. He's not happy with the D. He's not happy. So oh, perfect. Two days later, we play in Toronto. I take warm up. I get healthy scratched. So and after Mike Keenan said he's going to play in Toronto, play in Toronto. So it was one of those things like, you know, like what i'm not gonna play like now so i stay up in st louis for a week or two probably probably a week week to 10 days maybe two weeks stay there practice don't don't play at all ever uh you know whatever i'm hoping i and i'm and and because i'm making nhl money now so i'm trying to get out of the rink fast every time you never know with mike key you just, just want to get out of the rink fast well the day that he basically calls me in and whatever he's like uh so he calls me to his office and I sit in front of his desk. He sits there and reads the newspaper for 10, 15 minutes. Just reads the paper and I'm sitting there. So finally he puts his paper down and looks at you and go, looks at me and goes, uh, yeah, you're not, uh, yeah, look, we're going to send you back down, blah, blah, blah. Dallas Eakins coming back off his wrist injury, this, this, and that. I said, yeah, whatever, you know, but he was just, just the way he brought it up. I go out for lunch with Eeks, Eeks on the way. Dallas Eakins go out for lunch with him and uh, him and Paul Broughton from there. And and Dallas goes, I'm not coming back for another couple of weeks. Like, what, what's he talking about? So I get back and Jimmy Roberts said, whatever. He doesn't think you're in great, good enough shape, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, huh. 
whatever. So Jimmy was awesome because he was a Mike, because he, him and Mike Keenan got along, but he was like, yeah, this is all crap. This is bull crap, bullshit, whatever. I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. So don't, don't really think about it. So the next year I go back to training camp and I'm riding the elevator with Jamie Rivers. We were being pretty good friends. We're riding the elevator up the hotel right before training camp. And Mike Keenan gets on the, on the uh, elevator and goes, you know, and I shake his hand. And he looks at me and goes, you better throw them a lot harder than you shake hands. And I'm just looking at him going like, who are you? Like, like, what are you doing? So he gets off the elevator. I just got Jamie Rivers. I said, so what's he want to see from me at training camp now? He wants to see if I'll fight. It was just one of those guys that just, just, you know, you are who you are, but he was a pretender to around the rink. And I know he's probably not that guy. He's probably pretty good. Like, you know, cause there's other guys that do like him, but he just, to me, never treated me with respect, never treated, you know, so that's my feeling about him. And that's how it was. And I'm not worried about saying about it. He's not, he's not going to affect my life and I'm not going to, you know, so, but I'm sure he's treated other guys. You know, I was on the golf course talking to somebody the other day and I said, he always had a few guys that he always took along that probably, would talk highly of them. There's other guys that will too. And that's just part of hockey. I mean, I coach hockey at the Western league, Ontario league. I coach high school hockey. Some people aren't going to like who I am either. It probably, I probably didn't treat everybody properly either. And that's just the way it is. So I understand that part of it. So. You know, we, we hear about, you know, player killing coaches, you know, like a Mike Keenan, another one that we've heard about that players, kind of complain about is Mike Babcock, but it's, 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 are they the exceptions? I mean, what's been your experience? I mean, you've been a coach, but I mean, you know, everybody in hockey, is that sort of an outlier? Most coaches are respectable because it seems like hockey's one of the most respectable sports. Uh, it's a big part of the game and you hear these coaches that do this and you're like, you know, is that a real thing or is that just an outlier? <laughs> You know what? I mean, I don't know. You know, I I have my own Mike Babcock story, and I'll tell you that one too, because I don't I don't mind it being out there, because it's just who Mike Babcock was. I think some of these guys think they have to be hard asses, and I know as I've gone on, and I but it's it's who you are. I don't know. Like I know Mike Babcock didn't get to play at the highest levels and stuff like this, but he's a real smart guy, which was good. But you know, I was. You know, I was basically trying to get out of hockey being becoming a player coach. I was playing in Wheeling, Wheeling as a player coach at the time. And I got so many offers to go play in the America League in Wilkes-Barre and other places in Philadelphia. And I just said, no, no, no. And Grand Rapids lost uh, Travis Richards. It was one. Of, it was her. It was her. Not uh, it was her captain anyways so you need a veteran they were they were the number one team in the league they actually called me and said hey we know you're playing we know you want to do that but we're going to give you some good money to go i went there mike babcock knew me coached against me the detroit red wings were out of the playoffs and uh it was just it's just the way he is but this is how he is and uh comes into the dressing room they're out of the playoffs i think we just won a big series we're in the conference final or whatever the finals and he's in the dressing room with his arms crossed trying to just be a hard ass and it was kind of like I'm looking at him going like you don't even come and say hi to me like you guys brought me in I'm 35 years old you've coached against me for years and you can't even come up and say hi to me so I kind of started 
making a joke going security like basically security can you get this guy out of here and all the guys are going they're, they're looking at me the younger, no and it's, and it's no word of a lie the younger guys were looking at me go what and i said yeah get this guy out of here like like what's he just stand here like we just want a big series and you're just going to stand there with your arms crossed like like I don't like. I never figured it out. I could never figure it out. And I never had a good taste taste with them since then, and it was just one of those things. And I just know, like, I don't know why some of these guys have to have that mentality where they need to be hard asses. And I know, first of all, I know you can't coach that way anymore. You have to know these these guys and everything else. But it's like, you know what, like especially older guys like you know you you know I've been around you brought me in to try to help these young guys win and this was when Yuri Hoodler was on the team Philip Pooh and you know we we had a lot of good teams Jimmy Howard was a goalie like there was there was a lot of good guys and they brought me in to 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 basically help out like you know and uh and you can't even come and say hi to me that's one of those things that irked me about him but uh you know that's that's a thing and I don't know why they have to play the mental games about stuff like that. So, so, so you you were a player coach, and uh, so you were actually I mean, you're a you were a true Reggie Dunlop. So it must have been a difficult situation. So if you have a bad shift or a bad game, um, and you got to give it to the to the team if they were having a bad game. I mean, I I couldn't imagine being a player coach. What was that like? You know what? I was always the kind of guy when I was a, an, an assistant captain, captain of a team, I always started with myself too. Like it was, I knew if we were playing bad, that had something to do with me. And I never pointed fingers, never did anything. It was more like, Hey, you know what? I am the first guy to say that I need to be better and stuff like that. So, uh, no, it was good, but it was funny. Cause you know, we laugh, you know, we, we say about spitting chicklets. Well, it, Mizanette was on the team and I remember being you know I was on the power play like I basically would take guys off and I because I ran the D me and me and uh, me and Glenn Patrick Glenn Packer was, was the head coach but he didn't you know whoever you wanted on the power play it was me and or whatever I would I'd be taking the guys off the ice so I'd be putting myself on the ice on the power play. And, you know, like I tell the story, you know, when I was in the East coast league, like I wanted these guys to do this stuff on this, this one thing, five on three. I said, would you guys just pass it here, pass it here, pass it down there and just throw it across ice. And they and they wouldn't do it. The forwards wouldn't do it. They just hung on to the puck, hung on to the puck. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go be the forward this time. Like, and, and this was during a game. Like I said, I'm going to do this. Sure. Enough. <laughs> Sure enough, bang, bang, pass the puck. I don't even look. I just throw the puck across ice and we score. And I'm like, is it that hard to do? Like, is it that hard to do? Like I said, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, I'm sure it was there. Were, there was some luck involved in it, but it was just like, I'm asking you this. But uh, yeah, I did not. I never, you know, as a as a player coach, I never, you know, I never asked guys to anything I wouldn't do. You know, like wouldn't you know, like. I had to get in a fight with guys and stuff like this, you know? So it was, uh, yeah. So. <laughs> so what was the toughest thing you've had to do as a coach? As a coach, probably bench kids. Like, you know, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's hard at the high school level, at the junior level, pro level, like 
when it when when players aren't playing well and they're not and they shouldn't be in the lineup and sometimes their parents are going to be there for games they're going to be doing whatever and you got to sit out out kids and they're all good kids like trust me like i i don't think i've coached one percent of bad kids are all good kids they all mean well so it's it's hard it's the hardest thing is to do it's for them to sit them in the stands you know like even the high school thing with what's going on with the pandemic this year we had kids that like it was a different situation i couldn't put kids down on the jv team and still still practice with me so uh it was hard so when i asked you know when the kids asked me i said well i i'd really like you guys to practice sometimes i have six or seven kids because they sitting out not not even playing any games during the whole year but they were great kids because usually they would play on the jv team come practice with me and sometimes but this year we weren't allowed to do it because we kind of had our own little bubble that they didn't want all the kids going back and forth this case one kid got you know the 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 COVID or whatever that it would go through the whole the whole organization so it's one of those hard hard situations it was hard to see kids not get to play this year it was it was tough that's I think that's one of the toughest things absolutely you move on to Providence and you finally get the call up to play for the Bruins what was that what was that like when you first of all finally making it to the NHL and since we are a, um, you know, black and gold um, Bruins, mostly Bruins uh, podcast, what was it like to play with, you know, you had Bork as a captain. Did he treat you well in your time up there uh, playing in the, I guess it would have been the TD garden, right? You didn't play in the yeah, garden. No, no, it was a TD garden. It was, uh, you know, it was a great experience. Like uh, it was funny. We had the, I, I had the same agents as Ray. We had their fire management group. So he knew who I was and he was, he, he, he was actually unbelievable during training camp with me, really good with me, uh, you know, saying hi to me and talking to me, uh, which was awesome. When I got called to the Bruins, it was, you know, it was great. I mean, but I had the experience before that I was with the blues and never got to play. So this was a different experience when I got to play very first shift. I got to play in the NHL I was with Ray, you know, he was an idol, you know, I, you know, he was one of my idols. So it was awesome to play, uh, you know, I mean, everybody treated me pretty good. Like it was, you know, it was great. There, there's not, not many guys and, you know, it was funnest couple of weeks I had had in my life, you know? So, and it was good that I was in Providence at the time where I could share it with people that I cared about and stuff like that. So it was good. So you had etched yourself in uh, Hartford Wolfpack history um, the year after you had won the, the cup with uh, Providence and you had the legendary OT goal off a rebound shot to send you guys to the Calder Cup finals, correct? So what what was that like with that whole epic moment? The, I mean, the place was sold out 11,000. I mean, that had to be something special. Yes, it was It was very special. It was, uh, you know, it's still, still, still a great great memory of my time but it was also one of those things that all my buddies were on the other team don't forget I won the Calder Cup with those guys the year before too and they're you know we were down 3-1 in the series uh you know I think the coach John Paddock and I didn't even mention John Paddock he's one of the big idols of mine too and you know I, I go to Jim Roberts Peter Laviolette and John Paddock I can't even believe I I put him you know didn't didn't say that he's 
been unbelievable to me. Great person, great guy. He was one of the guys. And I really think he came up with this. We were in Providence down 3-1 in the series, playing game five. And uh, he, I think it was game five we were playing there. He comes in the dressing room and goes, uh, yeah, they got these printed already to say they're selling tickets for the Calder Cup final already. And this was before the game. And we're like, huh, really? So it kind of... We really think it was him that did it anyway. So it just kind of added a little bit more thing to us. We came back from a 3-1 deficit in this series. Uh, you know, I made a bunch – not even made a bunch of mistakes, but I kind of made a couple of mistakes, and I try to use that when I'm coaching during the game. But I was one of those guys that I made mistakes during games, but I tried to forget about it. I never let them bother me. Uh you know, and when I scored the OT winner, it was, you know, unbelievable feeling. We, you know, it was great. Uh, you know, I remember, remember when we're in the handshake line, Peter Laverlet grabbed me and said, if, 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 if somebody was going to score the goal, you know, I'm happy it was you. Uh, so, you know, it was, you know, I have, I have, uh, photos of it. I, you know, it's, somebody put this, Somebody put together to me like a three photo thing, like me going shooting the puck, going in there, me skating down the ice. And I think me and Peter even hugging that center ice. It's kind of one of those things that I hang on the wall. So it's so it's so it's pretty cool. Nice. So when you when you make huge impacts, then not only on like the teams, but also the, the city that you're playing for as well, um, like the Worcester Ice Cats, for example, is it emotionally challenging to embrace a change as far as maybe a trade or just going to a different team in general and leaving that area? It is. It is. You know, I was in Worcester for four years and, uh, you know, I, I had another year under a contract with 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 them and they brought in new management with Larry Plo and John Ferguson Jr. And it was a learning experience for me because I was a fan favorite, but I was, I, and again, you go back to Mike Keeney, actually, yeah, I actually got paid good money because of him, but, uh, but they, uh, so they brought him, you know, it was one of those things that when he got fired, it was kind of midsummer and they brought in the new regime and I wasn't one of their guys. So played the year, kind of played a little bit of forward because they thought it was an NHL forward, but Joel Quinville, great guy, awesome guy, Larry Plo, awesome guy. Uh, John Ferguson Jr., great guys, but I wasn't their guy to start. Uh, it's a very interesting story. Like, so thinking I might get an opportunity to play in the NHL that year coming into uh, St. Louis, but they end up signing their own guys and guys they knew and they recognized, like they they were familiar with. So it kind of dropped me up down in the uh, in the depth chart. So I was in the American League playing forward for the first half of the year played D the last half of the year, whatever happened and uh, which was fine, but they ended up buying me out before I went to Providence halfway through. And it was one of those things that, you know, you're a little bit sour and, you know, I said some things in the paper and not, not too bad, but, but I was in, it was, it was a learning experience for me. I didn't, you know, I was a little bit bitter at the time, but I went away for four years. I went, I went, you know, I went and won a Calder cup in Providence you know, I was on the all-star team doing that. And then I went to Hartford for three years, won a Calder Cup there. You know who were the first guys that called me after that? Cool. The Worcester Ice Cats. It was John Ferguson Jr. and Larry Plo. Uh, they just didn't know who I was. They, you know, like it was one of those things they didn't know. 
And I, th and I don't think everybody understands that kind of what goes on sometimes. They just want to know, they want their own guys in there and people want that. And it's, uh, you know, it was hard when it happened, but they were the first guys that called me and I see them now. They're the first guys that give me a hug and everything else. Cause I became one of their guys and they were, they were guys that signed me, paid me good money, treated me unbelievable. You know, the, the next, couple of years here I was in Worcester and you know they're great human beings but but at first you're just like yeah I don't know you know like you know it's it's a sour note but that's that's kind of how hockey works sometimes you just want to know people that you're familiar with that you trust and everything else and that's what happens so so Absolutely. yeah so it's kind of a good little thing on that it uh you know I don't think everybody knows the exact story that I think that's might have been the first time I've actually shared the story on like a podcast or anything else so all yeah. right yeah, <laughs> yeah so so Terry, one of the final questions I, I always want to ask and make sure I ask, especially the guys who who did throw some some fists in the leagues back then, um, is there anybody in the NHL in today, given Terry that you are in your prime again, back you know whatever year you want to choose, is there anybody that would give you a run for your money in a fight? There's lots of guys that would <laughs> like think about Luchik. I don't even like like <laughs> Luchik. Luchik just looks like mean big lefty. Lefties would kill me. Yeah. So you know Luchik, and and then it's funny. Like I used to play. Like I played against Chara when he was young, and it was like, like he was he actually played forward against me. The Islanders had him playing forward, and I and I played against him. It was just like, who would want to fight that guy? Yeah. And then you got guys like Wilson and stuff. I mean, I coach against Wilson in the Ontario Hockey League, but it's like uh, these guys are so much bigger and stronger. I don't know if they're as mean or as tough as guys were back in the day, but these guys are so much bigger and stronger now. Like I talk about, you know, I talk about my son. He's bigger, stronger, more skilled. It's just, it's just completely different the way it is nowadays. I don't, you know, I don't know if they know how to fight as much, but still, I think – it there's so, so many guys that you wouldn't even want to be want to want to want to mess with anymore so absolutely terry i got a few more questions um here and then um we want to talk about uh what you're doing now we've got some fans looking at what you're doing now and then we'll do a quick five or six question lightning round here as as we finish up but you finish your career in binghamton and when we posted on our social media that we were going to have you on the show um, our, our Twitter went crazy and, uh, we had Bobby Robbins on our show maybe a month or two ago. And, uh, so we've made good friends with him and he sent a message along and he wanted to make sure that we said that, uh, you were a stand up great guy and you were uh, awesome to him when he was a rookie on that Binghamton team. So, uh, he wanted to say that. And also Jason Studwick said, uh, nothing but great things about you actually on the Twitter. So it sounds to me that you made a significant impact in, in, in the game. And at the end of the day, when you move on, when you moved on from playing, isn't that how most players want to be remembered and have that reputation of being that? I mean, you got on, on our little social media, you know, players just singing your praises, just saying, what a great guy. I mean, that's got to make you feel pretty darn good about your career. Yeah, there's, you know, there's a couple stories that I, that I, that I, that I, that I have in mind. I, uh, you know, I always tell the story about the, where I got bought out from the St. Louis Blues and then, you know, signed with them four years later. I showed up at training camp and uh, in St. Louis four years later and 
there was guys like like Jamal Mayers, Brent Johnson, Bryce Salvador, Reed Lowe, and all these guys. When they saw me at training camp, they actually we I remember it being in the lobby in the St. Louis Hotel. And gotta remember, I was her I was her their captain four years ago when they were just rookies and everything else. And they actually came in, gave me a big hug in the lobby, like so happy to see me again. So that uh yeah, that made you feel good. There's another time when I was with Grand Rapids and, uh, you know, I was with Grand Rapids and uh, I was actually coaching in the Western League and we, we had a day off in Edmonton, Detroit Red Wings had a day off in Edmonton and they actually reached out to me, a bunch of guys from the Red Wings at the time because they were in Grand Rapids, Matt Ellis and Yuri Hoodler and Jimmy Howard and all these guys said, hey, Verts, let's go for lunch and took me out for lunch, which which was great. It, it was it was an awesome experience. You know, like I remember Matt Ellis telling me a story like I think we were down three two in the Manitoba series and uh, we walked from the hotel to the rink in Winnipeg and Matt just kind of said to me, he said he was our captain at the time because because Richie got hurt and uh, Richie got hurt and he was he was with us, but what you know he didn't there. So Matt Ellison named him captain. He kind of said to me, he goes, I want you to do the morning speech today and talk to the guys just because you've won and stuff like this. And when I went when I went out for lunch with him, Matt sat with me. He goes, Do you remember what you said that day? I said, Nope. He goes, well, I do. I kind of remember every word for it. And that was two or three years later, which was huh, crazy for me to understand that sometimes I was, you know, an influence on the young guys, which was great. And that's, that's hopefully that I remember, you know, guys remember me for, and, you know, I'm, like I said, I ran into a lot of great guys, a lot of great kids and stuff like that. So it was awesome. Are you part of the Bruins alumni? Yes, the Bruins alumni is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable organization. They treat everybody unbelievable. It was one of those things that uh, I really didn't know much about, and I didn't know anything like that. Like, and but there was a guy I, I don't like. I think it was Guy Rose. I think he played one game game with the. I think he played one game with the Bruins, maybe a couple more. But he played with the Providence Bruins, but. He's played a lot more in the NHL than me and his dad won six Stanley Cups, which he's good, but it was, somebody said, Hey, do you play for the Bruins alumni? And I'm like, no. Uh, and they said, well, why don't you? Like, they're always looking for guys. They need guys to help play and stuff like this. And I said, I only played a handful of games. And they're like, doesn't matter. The Bruins alumni brings you in. Like, it doesn't matter. And that's how they treated, treated me. Uh, you know, you sit there with Rick Middleton, Ray, uh, Terry O'Reilly, all these guys, and they treat you like you've been there for 100, 150 games, or a thousand games. They they don't treat you like any different than anybody else. It's an unbelievable organization. We raise a lot of money for charities playing games. It's uh, something very special, and we have a great time. We have a couple beers after the games and stuff like this. It's an unbelievable organization. Uh, if you know anybody wants to get gains that want to raise money for certain charities you know i know rick milton might be stepping down i don't i know he's talked about it but i don't know how this year is but i know uh i know we do they do a lot for charity it's an awesome organization so terry what are you doing now we do get some fans that are saying make sure you ask what is are you doing now you told us off air but go ahead and tell us what you're so, doing right now 
So I do a lot of hockey stuff. I do a lot of hockey skill stuff in, in the Worcester, Northboro, uh, New England Sports Center area. But uh, I'm also uh, a partner in a business called Power Play Energy Group. We're, we're energy consultants. We try to help business with their energy costs, anything between electricity, natural gas, solar, whatever we can do, lighting upgrades, HVAC upgrades. We uh, try to help business with that. Anything they want to... That we can help save money. That's what we try to do. Uh, yeah. So a partner of mine uh, is Sean Heafy. I used to play with him with the Worcester Ice Cats. Like I don't want to say how many years ago because that just puts us that that just <laughs> ages us. But we, uh, you know, we were we were best friends back then, and you know, we hang out. At, you know, we golf together, and we're partners in business now. He actually brought me into the business, and we thought it was a good name by Power Play Energy Group, and I was a you know that's something that. Uh, that's huge for us. So, so we're going to finish here with a, a lightning round questions. Now we're going to ask these fast, but you don't have to answer very quick. If you've got a story you can share, that's great. But if you just want to name a, a name, you can do that. So we'll, uh, we'll go with the lightning round here and I'll start. Who's the player you most wanted to play with on the ice? Paul Coffey. Toughest goalie to play against. Hmm. Hmm. Martin Martin Baron. Hmm. Worst arena to play in. NHL would be the Meadowlands, or not Meadowlands. I mean, uh, Long Island was terrible. Uh, Portland, Maine would be the American League one. Okay. Your favorite arena you played in? Favorite arena? Hmm. Chicago. United Center. Funniest or craziest thing to happen to you during a game? <sighs> to me. I don't think there's any funny things. How's that... Uh... Oh, funniest things that happened to me. Uh, I know, but there was a funny thing where when I was in Utah, some some guy some guy jumped over the glass and uh, naked and and went across the glass <laughs> and then he got brought into our dressing room naked. So that was that was something that could be brought. So this is the final one. I know you probably have a couple, but just one that maybe sticks out to your head the most, Terry, a, a favorite memory from your career in hockey in general. Favorite memory? First first shift in the NHL, for sure. That's, you know, that's one of those things ever that's, you know, it's going to be ingrained in my mind, uh, you know, face off and left of our goalie and, you know, left our goalie with Ray Bork's, you know, my partner and 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 in in like TD Gardens gonna help, you know. And then the other thing is me scoring the O team winner. That's kind of the thing hand in hand. Everybody always asks, you know, what's what's bigger? I you know, I don't know. Like it's you know, you 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 know, from as far as I've came from where I came from where I played, I was one of the worst kids when I played hockey up until I was Banner midget age. I was like the fifth or sixth defenseman all the time. And then to get to play in the NHL, that's huge. And, but to win championships was uh, something unbelievable. So. Awesome. 
Terry, we can't thank you enough. Uh, again, all, all these players come out of the woodwork who only don't on our social media unless there's something big. And this is big. Like I said, they've all, everybody's had great things to say about you. I think that's a testament. Okay, I think I lost you there. I think oh. we did too. So uh, I just, you know, everybody we've spoken to has spoke highly of you. And I think that speaks to your character and, and who you were as a player and a coach. And we just want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for coming on this father and son podcast. Perfect. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you and, so much, Terry. And I, I'm just going to pause this, Terry, and then we'll say goodbye right off air yeah. here. So, yeah. all right, Andrew. Great guy. Yeah, great time. Appreciate Terry coming on the show, of course, and uh, great stories that he told as well. And, you know, even these guys, Dad, that don't necessarily make it to the NHL and everybody remembers their name from all these stats or all the games they played, even if they played in the AHL and did well there, I mean, he's created quite a career for himself professionally in his playing career. And I think that that's amazing. I'm glad that we could bring that to the podcast for people to hear. Yeah, and I felt a little bad because since we're not in our normal studio at, at uh, where, where we do our podcast, tonight is actually a, a late later recording. So we're doing this from various Zoom computers and it's very difficult because you know we step on each other. Sometimes like, I guess you had trouble hearing me on the end there. Um, so I kind of feel bad that we couldn't interact like we normally would we got to kind of not step on each other but uh i still had a great time like i said this guy is just well respected with everybody in the game and uh hopefully we brought some insights that uh he sh you know shared with us that he might not have with others and, and again uh you know what what a story of you know you know this guy i mean playing mostly in the ahl but uh you know him, him talking about certain coaches and a little bit about the business side of hockey that might not be pleasant. Um, you know, it's all part of the game and we're glad that, you know, I mean, you and I are learning these things. I mean, we're just fans. Yeah, absolutely. So um, had a great time. Appreciate everybody uh, listening to this episode. Um, Bruins games on right now. We're up two one going or the third just started. Um, so go Bruins are the great trades and we'll, we'll be getting on the podcast eventually soon to be talking some Bruins stuff, but we also got another guest coming up technically tomorrow. Right. We'll probably not post it for a little while, but, uh, who is our next guest, Andrew? Jeff Ulmer. Jeff Ulmer will be coming on the show. So we're excited to have him. Um, but yeah, other than that. Stay tuned on everything, and we appreciate everybody coming to episode 21. Thank you, guys. Episode 21. Take care.